0: crackling. Kind of appropriate for tonight, don't you think? So here we are in a New England village in a former Catholic church doing a Buddhist practice on a Celtic pagan holiday. (laughs) somehow it's all being accommodated at the same time yesterday uh, Rebecca was saying uh, you know maybe you should tell them a little bit about Buddhist personality types so uh, I'll give you the quick rundown before I get to my main topic the basic idea is our obscurations of mind Tend to fall into three major categories, right? Greed or craving, aversion, and delusion. Now, we're all kind of triple threats, right? We all have all three of them, but we tend to specialize in one in particular. And there are many, many subtypes of uh, and combinations of these personality types, but the basic three are greed aversion and delusion. So to give a quick illustration of this, if uh, as I was drive- driving through town, there were a lot of trick-or-treaters out. You know, Barry's kind of a small village, and the people still do that kind of thing here. So the greed types are the ones that spend a lot of time thinking about their costumes, right? And they pick them to show to best advantage some of their more attractive features. For instance, you know, the, the longing to be a, a dancing girl or, you know, a suave kind of dude. And then the aversive types, you know, throw on a few, you know, scary masks and maybe a, brandish a few weapons. And then the diluted types sort of, you know, kind of forgot it was Halloween. So it's like whatever they found in the closet that, you know, somebody else told them might work. <laughs> right. So another version of the rundown would be when you came in to look at, at the pumpkins, right? So the, the greed types coming in would notice the pumpkins right away. And would really enjoy the pumpkins, probably, and would probably go into a train of thought that goes something like, "Those are really great." I wonder how they did it. I bet there's a kit or something. I wonder if I could talk, leave a note for the office and find out, you know, where they uh, you know have the model for that Buddha one, because that would be so cool to do. You know, maybe there's special tools, and I could get them for Thanksgiving, and I could like carve gourds or something to use as the centerpiece for the table. <laughs> and then the aversive types would come in, and they would notice right away too, because something's out of order. <laughs> and it, it's interesting, though. It's an interesting thing, uh, but you know, it's probably a fire hazard. <laughs> And, you know, I wonder if the, uh, you know, the fire inspector knows that and if there's enough sprinklers around in case something happens. And um, I hope they're using soy candles because, you know, those other kinds give off fumes, okay. And then the diluted would come in and take a look at other people taking a look and then they would notice they should take a look <laughs> and then they would wonder uh, whether those have been there all day. <laughs> okay. So that's that's the basic gist of it. And maybe we'll fill you in more later. Or you may discover some of this for yourself as you proceed. So. The main thing I want to talk about, though, is motivations, agendas, and aspirations for practice. So, in, you know, in a few of the Dharma talks I've been here for, I've I've heard um, uh, teachers reiterate a couple of things uh, as important points. One theme it has been: the mind is intrinsically pure and radiant, luminous in its nature. And then the other thing I've heard them say is, this practice isn't uh, about getting rid of anything. those two points sound familiar out there? But let's face it. I mean, our minds may be pure (coughs) and radiant and all of that, but And and maybe we believe it, and maybe we see it sometimes, but, you know, sometimes they're kind of a mess, really. Um, And we do have this sense that something could be better, right? Something could be better, or we wouldn't be here doing this, you know? This is not most people's idea of fun you may have found that out when you told those uh, near and dear to you that you know you were going to go for a month or two months or whatever it's been to this place out in the middle of nowhere and you were going to get up at five o'clock in the morning and be quiet and you know not write letters or do email or you know talk and eat vegetarian food and um, you know there's usually two different reactions people have when you tell them that kind of thing, right? Either they're really kind of interested or they think you're insane, (laughs) right? Or maybe, you know, there's something a little questionable about this new adventure that you're having. But we are seeking something, you know, we have this intuition that uh, Even though we might agree with the premise that things are perfect as they are, we believe things could be better. (laughs) Might be perfect, but it could be better, right? So when we come to practice, our mind streams are always a mixture of things. You know? uh, You come to practice with the mind you have, not the mind you wish you had and it's always a mixture right i mean we have wisdom in it and we have delusion in it we have sometimes very lofty altruistic intentions and then sometimes we've got very very specific things that we're trying to address through practice and It's important to be in touch with those things, what those things are, those agendas and motivations that we have because if we're not in touch with them, if they're not conscious, we can get into uh, a lot of unnecessary, unnecessary struggle and difficulty in terms of how we go about trying to do this very simple thing of sitting down and just noticing what we're experiencing. Now, it's a very uh, confusing thing to be a human being because we get just enough reinforcement for our sense of efficacy or ability to make things happen in the world, right? I mean, obviously, we can make things happen. I mean, we made a lot of things happen to get here and do this retreat. You know, all through the day, we try to and make things happen in order to do, to, uh, do our practice. Um, so, we can make things happen. And in fact, we have the ability over time to manifest our intrinsic, luminous, radiant uh, mind and to liberate ourselves through the power of our own awareness, focused in certain ways. So, we have great power. And we have relative power. But we don't have absolute power, but we'd like to. So people who are uh, behaviorists and do these kinds of experiments uh, found out something very interesting about uh, mice. And one of the things that they found out about mice is that they respond most strongly to intermittent reinforcement. So if you set up an experiment with mice and there's kind of like a lever in the cage and, you know, when the push the lever, you know, some food rolls down a little chute and the mouse gets to enjoy it, the mouse will learn that. Will learn that if it hits the lever, (laughs) and the food runs down the chute and it can have it. and so, you know, it likes to hit the lever. What they noticed was that the mouse hits the lever with the most vigor and uh, the most number of repetitions and the highest degree of franticness, franticness, frenzy, <laughs> when it only sometimes gets the little pellet. So that's kind of like us, right, because sometimes we get the pellet and sometimes we don't. But we hit the lever all the time. So this is our confusing human status. So awareness of our agendas is very important to us because otherwise they can trip us up and really hinder our progress and they can cause a lot of suffering and confusion and wasted motion. So our practice can become an attempt to kind of implement our particular agenda and we can kind of impose very specific goals on our practice and think of things in terms of making that happen, that thing we want to have happen occur. So the small self is kind of in the driver's seat and is trying to, you know, steer, steer the car, you know, taking, trying to take control of the situation in a way that seems most uh, preferred. And the result of this is kind of like a rigid struggle to control what's going to happen next, what's going to arise in the next moment, right? So I said, we had ultimate control. Right? We have the capacity to liberate our minds and realize our intrinsic nature. We have relative control. We have some uh, developed degree of efficacy to make things happen in the world. And the more clarity and the more wisdom we have, the deeper our insight into causation, and the better we are at doing that, right? Because we're more in touch with, what's operating in a situation. But we don't very often have immediate control. And that's a really hard thing to learn. But you'll notice this, perhaps. So let me give you some examples of some of these uh, agendas that can uh, be in our minds consciously or unconsciously. And see, see if any of them uh, sound familiar to you. And I'm I'm guessing at least uh, one or two of these is likely to be close to uh, something that has at least floated through uh, your mind. Okay, this can either be for the whole retreat, for a whole sitting, or for just uh, the arising moment. To get rid of a particular emotion or emotional pattern. Right. Um, an example of this would be, uh, you know, I'm uh, kind of a selfish person, and I need to learn how to share better. Um, okay. Uh, to make ourselves different, uh, in o- other words, there's a preferred version of us, in some essential manner. So. Um, one, one version of this might be something like, um, I'm so uh, shy and introverted, you know, I'd really like to become um, more of an extrovert and, you know, be comfortable with large groups of people. So, you come here, right, because we interact so much. Um, Another version is to attain a particular kind of spiritual experience we have heard or read about, right? Um, you know, I was reading this um, biography of Deepama, and I read that she had the ability to, uh, you know, travel <coughs> to the subtle realms uh, at will and. Um, you know, she could also uh, bilocate, um, which would be a good thing to do because then you could <laughs> sleep in and be in the hall at the same time. <laughs> or um, another version would be uh, to prove something to ourselves or someone else, right? Like. I've always been a weak-willed kind of person, and I've never really stuck to, you know, stuck to something, and, you know, I'm going to learn to stick to something, and this is it. And when I go home, uh, my wife is going to say, gee, I'm surprised it took you so (laughs) long to get here, right? Another version is to experience uh, a certain thing, a certain um, thing that we believe is a sign of spiritual accomplishment. So uh, something pleasant, you know, like concentration or uh, bliss or uh, you know, there are these things about lights, you know, lights might be good to get. Um, it's a sign, you know, something's happening. It's good. Um, to impress the teachers or otherwise be recognized, um, you know, our, our human need to be seen as, as worthy and special. You know that that would be a proof to us of something. That gives the, the teachers a lot of credit for their discernment. Um, to uh, have my ego uh, and/or my personality disappear. You know, because I've. There's an understanding that this is there's something about no self or non-self or not self or not having a self or not having an ego and you know, so we you know maybe we'll be able to like wipe it out <laughs> somehow. Let's see. Um, then for those who who of you who are experienced, there's the uh, to experience uh, Again, something that you experienced at another retreat or sitting. Right? There is this one time when I was here on the three-month course and I was about ten weeks into it, and I sat down, I had this one sitting, and everything was so clear, and my heart was completely open, and I didn't feel any resistance, and I felt such joy in the body. Uh, and I think I was sitting right over there. <laughs> so I'll have to move that guy's stuff. <laughs> then there's uh, the, kind of the flip side of that, which is to not experience something from a previous retreat. <laughs> I was sitting here on the three-month retreat. <laughs> And I was sitting right about over there, and there was this one sitting at about the 10th week, and I sat down, and my mind was all over the place, and I was so restless I could hardly sit there, and it made me wonder why I was there, and I wanted to lose, leave the retreat, and I was just filled with doubt and aversion, and I don't want to have one <laughs> of those again. So, you know, another agenda could be, uh, you know, to be a good yogi. You know, we've got a picture in our our mind about what a, a good yogi would be, you know, kind of smooth in the walking, you know, kind of like, <laughs> almost like, you know, a, a, a Qigong master or something, <laughs> kind of like smooth in the walking, you know, and when they sit down, it's just like a mountain, you know. <laughs> And you can tell just by looking at them that, you know, they were, like, really close. <laughs> so, you know, if we could, like, move like a Qigong master and, you know, sit like a mountain, then <laughs> maybe we'd be close, too. Or at least we'd look like we were close, and, you know, <laughs> sometimes that's enough, right? <laughs> and then there's the... Uh, you know, to get rid of a physical or emotional condition of some type, you know, like, I've got, you know, this back pain and, uh, you know, I've had it for six years and it's, you know, seems to be getting worse and, you know, maybe there's emotional stuff tied up in it, you know, it could be uh, sankaras that are manifesting themselves as physical pain and, you know, I think, you know, I I think I'm going to try this and, you know, I've tried yoga and, you know, (laughs) I've got an appointment with the orthopedist and (laughs) I think maybe, you know, and I'll sit and I'll direct the energy to, you know, and I mean, I'm just guessing that one of these may or more of them might seem like somewhat resonant. to you. So there are problems if we don't see these things, right? Because if we don't uh, see them and we invest in them and then proceed from them as a starting point and then kind of use them as a standard for how we're doing, then a number of things, fall as consequences to that. Um, You know, basically the problem with this is that we're operating in much too small a context in how we're going about trying to practice. And it's too small, it's too uh, goal-oriented, and it's much too specific. Right. So it's very squeezed in there. We're starting out from the wrong kind of base in terms of uh, trying to practice. And there's an overlay that's brought to the whole situation that makes it a lot more complicated and convoluted and fragmented than it would otherwise be. Uh, you know, we're trying to keep our, our thing going, our agenda going, you know, we're, we're hitting the pellet lever at the same time we're trying to <laughs> observe the breath, you know, or do the walking practice. You know, we've got this other thing going on. Our focus is, is really split. And it has consequences in terms of our, our our practice all the way through through. You know, how easily we can compose our mind and be mindful of you know, the anchor, how concentrated our mind can get in terms of, you know, its one pointedness, how Easily uh, we can actually notice uh, what we're experiencing uh, in terms of investigation, um, how much energy we have for that investigation, how calm our mind can get, resting on, on uh, one thing. So, you know, it ripples through. It, it subdivides our, our attention, our ability to really do what we're trying to do by following the instructions. So it's way too complicated. You know, we're complexifying the situation. And, and one of the biggest problems is, of course, we're not really open to what's happen- happening primarily for us. We're not <laughs> aware that probably what is predominant is our agenda when it's in operation. We're out of touch with that but that's taking so much of our focus and, and energy and attention that we're not very aware of what we think we're trying to be aware of, you know, whether it's the breath or the body or the walking or all the rest of it. And the biggest flaw in, in this, this strategy of it, pursuing agendas in, in the kind of way that, that I've mentioned is that it doesn't really work. I mean this is one of those situations where we have, uh, we probably have limited ability to accomplish in the, in the way that I read these formulations, any of those things, right? And since it's not working, then, you know, we just keep hitting the, the pellet lever <laughs> over and over and over again uh, and feel like we're failing. So, when we don't uh, identify or acknowledge these things that we're also doing when we uh, say we're practicing, uh, we're in a state of attachment to these goals, then particular other things happen. You know, we're looking for a particular result related to that, that goal or intention. We try to control what arises and what doesn't arise in the immediate sense, right? If we're trying to get rid of the back pain, any, any sensations that are back pain, right, what are we going to do with it? We're going to turn the mind away from it. We're probably going to have an aversive reaction to the fact that it's arising. Uh, we're going to try to, to push it out of our awareness in some sort of way we don't bring a fresh mind to the instructions, right? Because we've got this overlay of this other stuff that we're really trying to have happen while we're here. We're not listening to the instructions in a way with a united mind, with a unified mind that can really let uh, them penetrate in their simplicity. So, another thing that happens is that we're always grading ourselves, right? If we came here to accomplish these particular things, and that's the reason we, you know, came here for two months or for a month and, you know, went through all the gyrations involved in getting to be here and all the rest of it, and it's not turning out like that, aren't we at some point going to feel like, wow, this was a big waste of time, or I'm just not very good at doing this, or, you know, this is all a load of, um, you know, bullpucky, You know, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Of course, the supposed to do is, you know, our version of supposed to do, done through a practice the way we want to do it, right? And then, of course, um, you know, our ego inflates and deflates based on how it's going, right? So, for instance, if our agenda is that, we want to have a lot of concentration or we want to have a lot of bliss in a sitting or something like that. So let's say we hit the karmic jackpot and we sit down and we have a sitting where you know the mind is pretty concentrated and you know it doesn't wander much and it's easy to stay with the breath and you know then pleasant sensations arise in the body and it's easy you know to feel pleasant sensations in the in the body and you know, happiness arises, and then, wow, okay, you know, I'm, damn, I'm good, I think I'm getting this meditating stuff, you know, (laughs) I think I'm starting to get it down, you know, so we feel like, whoa, okay, okay, well, you know, sometimes what happens, though, is because all experiences are impermanent, we can have sittings that we regard as being, like, really really good sittings and in some ways they, you know, they are um, uh, showing an increase of some of these uh, wholesome factors. We can have one of those and after lunch go into the med hall carrying the assumption that, you know, now that we're kind of good at it, you know, now that we've got the, got the idea, okay, I'm getting this meditating stuff, we can kind of like hardly wait to go back to the cushion, come in after lunch and sit down and just have your mind be a complete right? So, then you have a few days of that, and uh, wow, I had it and then I lost it, you know, I'm just, I guess I'm not not good at this stuff, right? And then the deflation starts, it's like, oh, I can't do this, you know, I'm a failure as a meditator, and all the rest of it. And of course, you know, we're, we're often or generally out of contact with, um, our predominant experience, or what, let's put it this way, the experience that would otherwise be predominant if we weren't so busy kind of trying to go after these other things. So then, of course, um, then we have the struggle, the fatigue, and the, the hindrances arise and when we fail to control things, you know, to, we lose that sense of efficacy that's important to us as human beings, because this, this approach isn't uh, working too well. Uh, Then we get uh, mad or sad about it, you know, and self-judgment arises, and then doubt, and then we don't really want to try anymore, and, you know, so it's kind of a fertile field for hindrances, so, you know, rigidity, a rigid, rigid agenda, you know, a fixed view of what we want to have happen here besides a worthy full-time occupation of just trying to be present in the moment with thoughts, feelings, body sensations cognitive states, emotions, noticing of objects, that's, you know, moment to moment, all day long, that's kind of like a full-time job. You know, it it goes a lot better if we, like, turn it that way and and do something else with the agendas. And I'm going to talk in a minute about what we could do with some of the agendas. You know, when um, rigidity causes suffering because it isn't in harmony with the truth of how things are, right? It re- represents a kind of perceptual or uh, arteriosclerosis, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's kind of like, we got a thing and we want it and we're gonna want it and it's like, we're gonna get it. And we really try, we do. so that We get that pellet just often enough. But rigidity re- resists the truth of what's actually happening. <clears throat> and so it's... Uh, Really, one of those situations where you know you know that song. Uh, I fought the law, and the law won. Well, the the law seems to be that things arise and pass away because of uh, certain causes and conditions, not because of our will. So, just to get back to. Uh, Ways that we can work with these agendas and and motivations. Um, You know, the important thing to know is holding an open ended context for practice is really one of the most important things you can do. You know, taking for granted that we don't know what's going to happen next. You know, it's it's kind of like trick or treat all the time. In our minds right I mean we we ring the doorbell you know we open the door <laughs> you know it might be the the nice lady that gives us Snickers bars <clears throat> you know it could be you know the grumpy old guy that tells us to get off the porch you know it could be somebody who's really kind of scary uh, you know it could be nobody comes to the door you know, we don't know what's going to happen next. And in fact, if, if I was going to give you uh, one phrase that should be uh, a red alert to you that you've fallen into a state of kind of rigid resistance to things, it would be this phrase, I shouldn't be experiencing this. and uh, another version on that of that is this shouldn't be happening this shouldn't be happening I shouldn't be experiencing this which is our somewhat futile protest (laughs) against reality right so a better way of kind of going about approaching this practice might be to have some sort of uh, substitute uh, slogan that we can bring forward when we hit those, those particular kinds of periods. So for instance, it might be um, something like, may I let go of all, all holdings, patterns, and beliefs that keep me separate from the truth. May I let go of all holdings, patterns, and beliefs that keep me separate from the truth. So that's kind of a macro level reframing about what it is we're trying to do with this meditation stuff. We're trying to tune or true ourselves to what's real. And we start by being willing to connect with it. So, another way you can work with these uh, agendas, if you're able to do this, of course, is to simply set them to the side and let them go. Uh huh. But you might be able to. Or at least you might be able to at particular times. You know, to just basically say to your, your thinking mind or your wanting mind, well, thanks very much for the input. Now, you know, why don't you go take a nap over there, and I'm going to pay attention to the breath. Another thing you can do. Uh, if you're able, is kind of think about the practice as something that does itself, right? You know, our our job is to kind of, uh, you know, hop, hop on the bicycle of practice as it's rolling down the hill, you know? Steer it a little bit as it's happening, you know? use the brakes if it's getting to be too much, pedal a little bit if it's, you know, starting to climb up a hill and it needs some help. But this stuff has its own momentum if we allow it. If we connect with it in the right way and allow it. So, another way to do it is to Make these agendas conscious. You know, if they're there for you, really acknowledge them when they're there. You know, turn your mind towards that thought or that desire or that want. Really turn towards it and notice it, just in the same way you would notice a sound or uh, a body sensation. Notice it. Let you know. Let it register. Don't have it to the extent you can. Don't have it operating. You know, in a largely semi-conscious way where you know it's going on uh... splitting your focus from any attempt to actually follow the meditation instructions so you can also um, reframe these motivations and if if you have a particular motivation that's really strong that's kind of like uh, of the type that that i've described you would be wise to do this, to actually, you know, take a piece of paper or something, write it out the way that it is now, and then think about how you could tweak it so that it could actually help empower what you're doing here rather than detract from it. So let me go back through my uh, my list of uh, Agendas. So, one I mentioned was to get rid of a particular emotion or emotional pattern. A substitute for that, but it, it's clearly related, is to learn to meet difficult emotions with passion, with compassion and courage. To learn to meet difficult emotions with compassion and courage. Then there's the one about uh, to make ourselves different, to create a preferred uh, version in, of ourselves. Okay, you know there's a wholesome seed in in many of these things. There is wisdom in it. You know even in our deluded motivations have wisdom in it. And it's kind of a yin-yang kind of thing, you know, even in the dark there's a little bit of light and even in the light there's a little bit of dark. You know, we want to be happy. That's healthy, that's wholesome. You know, that's what pushes us on. We want to realize our potential. We want to awaken. You know, we just kind of think about it in a little bit off ways that don't necessarily serve us, but we can, you know, kind of clean them up and take that same energy and use it in alignment for where we really want to go. So to take this to make ourselves different in some essential manner, we could say, to open to my full potential by developing new strengths. To open to my full potential by developing new strengths. This one, uh, to attain a particular kind of spiritual experience we've heard or read about. That could be to recognize new growth and insight without attachment. To recognize new growth and insight without attachment. It's important to notice when things start to change. When things become unfamiliar and new in a... uh, And things are moving in a a direction that indicates increased openness or increased stability of mind. That's the truth. Can we do that without, you know, throwing a big ego rope around it? To prove something to ourselves or someone else. How about? to develop confidence and faith in my true nature. To develop confidence and faith in my true nature. How about to experience a certain thing like pleasantness, bliss, or concentration, and maybe a psychic experience, too. Could we say, uh, To recognize pleasantness, bliss, and concentration when they arise without attachment. To know them, to recognize them, to know them. To impress the teachers, get recognized. To develop my potential in order to serve others. To develop my potential in order to serve others. To have my ego and or my personality disappear. To recognize my true nature. To recognize my true nature. To experience, again, something from a previous retreat or sitting. To let go of all expectations, seeing the unique truth of each moment. To let go of all expectations, seeing the unique truth of each moment. To not experience something from a previous retreat. Same thing. To let go of all expectations, seeing the unique truth of each moment. To be a good yogi. To offer the sangha the gift of my highest intentions. To offer the sangha the gift of my highest intentions. To get rid of a physical, emotional condition. To remember with compassion all those who struggle, may we be free from suffering. To remember with compassion all those who struggle, may we be free from suffering. So that's the reframing of the agendas. So, you know, if one of or more of these is strong for you, think think about that. Think about actually, you know, writing a sentence or two that's kind of a tweaked version of it that's um, in alignment with what you're looking for that's wholesome but has a little more wisdom in it and that will help support uh, your practice rather than become a sideshow that's going on over it and beside it and under it often. So there's one other strategy in terms of uh, working with these agendas or motivations, too. And, and, and this is for the, the, the ones of you who are really uh, hardcore here. You know, you're really attached to that one. Which is um, closely observe what happens when you attempt to meditate from these perspectives. So when it's really there and you're trying to run the show, through it, you know, you're operating through it, you're trying to get it to happen, make it happen, have it be the measuring stick of how you're doing, see how it goes. You know, because a lot of this is is about, you know, trying and noticing what happens next. You know, so... You know that's going to be an interesting experiment for y- for you to have. You know, turn it. So in other words, if you can't lay it down, uh, or you don't want to, or it doesn't seem right to, then just turn to it completely and try to do it completely and see what happens. And we'll have sign ups out of the board for you. Um, so. Um back to this, uh, the advice of not practicing uh, to get rid of it anything, you know, and how important that that is. Um, you know this this is a composting process that we're doing here, this meditation stuff, you know. Um, and you you know what goes into compost. <laughs> you know there's a there's a... Uh, a bunch of stuff on on the compost uh, pile you know there's our wisdom there's our delusion there's our high aspirations there's our you know self-centered cravings there's our uh, unrealistic expectations there's our um, spirit of renunciation um, and then we've got our our mindfulness and our willingness to proceed with sincerity and integrity as kind of our activating agent in the compost pile. Um, So, you know, not to uh, be down on yourself or be critical or in despair if any of these motivations, or all of them, are uh, a major uh, factor in how you're going about practicing. Because, you know, we're, we're just really mixed, you know, we're as, uh, we're, where we are when we start is where we are. I have a, a story um, to tell you as a conclusion here. Um, a number of years ago when I was living on the west coast, um, I had a woman who was a, a, a friend call me up at work and say that she wanted to uh, bring a friend of hers over to meet me. And uh, the reason that she wanted to bring her friend over to meet me was that uh, at that time I was doing some um, teaching of self-defense and situation awareness to women. And so I thought, well, sure, (laughs) sure, you know, if somebody goes out of their way to ask something like that of you, sure. I'll I'll be glad to meet this person and talk with her so she she brought a friend over and this woman was maybe um, maybe 30 maybe younger a little bit younger Uh, and she was a woman of color and she had decided that she was going to undertake uh, a walk for peace and she was going to walk across the country by herself from the West Coast to the East Coast, accompanied just by uh, her flute. She was a musician, a very talented musician. And she was going to uh, stop in communities um, along the way and give, basically give a concert for peace. And so when her her friend, um, you know, heard she was going to do this, the friend was like, mm, you're going to like, <laughs> as a woman of color, you're going to like walk across a young woman w- alone, walk across like, you know, Montana and all the rest of this. I mean, audacious, right? Strong, strong intention, you know, a very brave, bold move. And so, you know, we talked for a while and I, you know, we discussed some, th- some things and I, I taught her some things and... Um, and gave her all my support and some uh, letters of introduction she could use um, because I was connected into, you know, a number of uh, different organizations across the country that could help her, put her up and things like that. So I I, I did say, you know, well, at the end of this, you know, I'd really like to get together with you and get, get the story of how it went. So, you know, a number of months later, um, she came over and she had completed it, you know, she had completed this really big undertaking. Um, you know, she'd summoned the resolve and, you know, gone through everything that would be involved in doing something like that. It's almost unimaginable, isn't it? I mean, for one person without a lot of support to do something like that. And I said, well, you know, my hat's really off to you, I really admire you, and I'd like to know what, what you learned from it. You know, what, what the big things that you noticed having done something like this?" And she said, uh, well, what I learned was, uh, I was really doing this because my boyfriend had just dumped me, I wanted to get him back, and I thought if I did something like this, uh, I would lose some weight and I would also really impress him. And I was, you know, just like you are, like, wow. (laughs) And I said, wow, that must be some boyfriend. (laughs) and she said no not really but it was worth it right so you know how sometimes how we start with these things we start with a mixture it's where we are it's the best we can do we start with a mixture but if but if we really surrender to the process you know the learning comes that you know the the uh... the dross gets burned out of us in the process we become conscious of these kinds of things other other more wholesome forces arise within us you know that's that's a long walk (laughs) she might have started out thinking that that's you know like semi-conscious maybe that that was somewhere in there at some point along the way She became really conscious that, you know, that was like a big part of why she was doing it, and that was the practice point right there. When she was walking out in the middle of Montana someplace by herself, and she realized, oh, I just committed to doing this walk because I wanted to get this guy back, and I've still got (laughs) 1,500 miles to go. But that's, that's the practice point, right? So whatever brought you here, you know, whatever brought you here in terms of these agendas? Okay, now you're here. You're like one week into it. You've got three weeks to go. So reconsider <laughs> and be glad you're not in Montana. Let's sit for a minute. May our aspirations serve our highest good, and may the merit of our practice benefit the well-being of all beings, especially those dear to us who have passed away.